0: And in the like, intermission, they were going to go talk to her. And immediately the interaction went wrong because I, st- I stood far too close to her and then she turned around and we're like shoulder to shoulder. It was too close for people that you know, let alone a stranger. The normal thing to do there probably would have been to just step back, but I didn't. Um, and then what followed was one of the most like, flustered conversations I've ever had. Um, at one point she asked me to tell me about, tell her about myself and I started with, well, I'm a nurse, which is normal, fine. And she went, oh, lovely. And so then I followed it up with, but I'm quitting. And she gave me a strange look. And then I said, and then I'm going to start working for my church. And I'm sure at this point it must have just sounded like I was making it up as I went along. Um, it was an embarrassing interaction. Um, we're about to start a series of people um, who are meeting Jesus, um, the ultimate hero, if you will, um, and we're going to spend the next nine weeks um, looking at interactions that he's had. It's going to take us right the way through to September, um, and through this series, we're going to get to spend a whole lot of time with Jesus, um, seeing what he was really like as a man who walked the earth, who met real people, from like, the most powerful in society to some of the poorest in society, and how none of those interactions left people feeling like I did after meeting, after meeting Nancy. Um, but how in each situation he knew what to say to these people, how to meet them, what to do, what they needed from him. Um, So the series is going to be taken from the various different accounts of Jesus' life that are in the Bible. We're not going to stick to one book, Um, but we are going to try and loosely follow the chronology of his life. So we're going to start today with one of his first interactions, um, and then at the end we'll finish with one of his last interactions. Um, So today um, we are um, with Jesus meeting Andrew, um, who is one of Jesus' disciples, maybe better known as the brother of Peter, Um, and we're going to... Just look at the story of Jesus meeting him from the Gospel of John. Now, this story is told slightly differently in John than it is in the other books of the Bible. So if it doesn't match up with how you remember it going, don't worry, that's absolutely fine. Um, But we're going to be in John chapter 1, and we're going to go from verse 35. It says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, that's John the Baptist, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, so about four o'clock. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So this story starts with Andrew standing with John the Baptist, who says that he's a disciple of him, so maybe he's been hanging around John the Baptist for a while now. And John points out Jesus as he's walking past and says, he's the Lamb of God. Um, What John is actually doing there is, echoing something that he said the day before. You can read about it in the like section just before um, this one that I've read out. And essentially, it's where John's giving this speech about how Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for. Because you see, all of the Jewish people, all of them, they were waiting for someone. Someone who first comes up as early as Genesis 3 in the Bible, where God says that there is someone coming who is going to crush the head of their enemy. And then throughout the story um, of Israel's history and the unfolding of the Old Testament, there continue to be these like, hints and promises that there is this coming figure who is going to bring freedom and justice and restoration and peace. And one of the clearest references of this figure is in Psalm 2 where it talks of a figure, and it refers to him in three ways. It calls him the appointed one, or the Messiah, no, anointed one, sorry, or the Messiah, so Messiah means anointed one. It calls him a king on God's holy mountain, and it calls him a son of God. So all three of those terms kind of became statements that were used to refer to this coming one, this awaited, expected figure, Um, And then as the Old Testament continued and we went like work through the prophets, we can find this like increasing anticipation of this this figure who is coming and he's going to come and restore God's purposes and promises and people are going to be set free. And so by the time we get to Andrew standing with John, the Jewish people have been waiting for this figure, this Messiah to come for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And at this point, they will have all had their own idea of like what the Messiah was going to be like when he came, like what he was going to do, what he was going to achieve, what it was going to look like. A lot of the Jewish people thought that um, Jesus, would, no, the Messiah, when he came, was going to set people free from Roman oppression. John the Baptist probably thought the Messiah was going to be someone who came in this like, terrible judgment to like, clean up all of the sin in Israel. And John's whole like ministry, his whole gig, was that he was announcing that this Messiah, this figure who the Jewish people have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years, he was here, he was on the scene. And all of those promises, all of those prophecies, they were about to be fulfilled. And now imagine, for a second for me, that you don't know anything about Jesus yet, that you've never heard any other stories of him, and you're standing with John the Baptist, and he points to someone walking past and goes, that's him. That's that's the guy we've been waiting for. That is the Messiah. Like, you can imagine how Andrew's heart might have, like, leapt. (laughs) How he might have, like, like, could this really be him? And so, Andrew leaves John, and he starts following Jesus. And now, bear in mind that Andrew, at this point, probably had no idea what to expect of Jesus. Um, Didn't know anything about him. Probably wouldn't have known really, actually, what he was going to be like. If at this point all he knows is that he might be the Messiah, Andrew maybe thinks he's following this like warrior figure or this amazing teacher. Um, Each one of them would have had like their own ideas of what he was going to be, and Andrew was no different. We don't know what his hopes and expectations were of when the Messiah came. Maybe he thought that this guy was going to like, lead them in this uprising against the Romans and lead an army. Maybe he thought that this guy was going to somehow restore Israel to like, the central economic power that it used to be. We don't know exactly what he thought Jesus was going to be like, but any one of these ideas that he had in his head probably would have been really intimidating. <laughs> Um, to know that, that that's that guy standing in front of me. And so what Andrew does, I find so relatable. He doesn't go and talk to Jesus. He follows behind him. He kind of hangs back. Maybe he's like f- trying to figure out Jesus from a distance. Um, and, and again, we don't know exactly why Andrew hasn't gone straight up to talk to him, but you can kind of get it, can't you? Like... Who, in the face of this messiah, this warrior, this figure, isn't going to feel a bit like they need to hang back <laughs> and figure, figure him out um, before they go and talk to him? Um, there are so many reasons, aren't there, that why we might want to keep our distance in a situation like this. Maybe like, feelings of inadequacy, like, he's not going to want to talk to me. Maybe like, not knowing what you'd even say when, like, if a conversation started. And maybe those feelings are like, what if he doesn't like me or or doesn't even acknowledge me? What if I'm not enough? Or worse, what if he's angry at me for disturbing him? Because surely the Messiah is going to be busy and isn't going to have time for any random stranger who like gets a bit curious to talk to him. Um, maybe actually Andrew was hanging back because he had doubts. Maybe he was actually scared that that this guy wasn't going to be who John says he was at all. Jesus probably did not look like any of the ideas or impressions that people had of what the Messiah would be when he came. Um, So maybe he was hanging back because he was scared of being disappointed, um, scared that maybe the Messiah isn't what he thought he was going to be, or maybe this man isn't the Messiah at all. We don't know exactly why Andrew was hanging back. But we do know that Jesus turned, and Jesus noticed Andrew and this other disciple following him. And Jesus started talking to him. Jesus asked him a question. He said, what are you seeking? The NIV just says, what do you want there? But I love about this, that it is Jesus that is the initiator. It's Jesus that is beginning this interaction. It's Jesus that is choosing to talk to Andrew and this other guy that is with Andrew. Um, I love that Jesus seeks out these interactions and this is why we're able to spend nine weeks looking at interactions that Jesus has with people and like it's not even going to be exhaustive. There's no way we're going to cover all of the interactions he had. It's because he had so many because he seeks out all of these conversations. He seeks out interactions with people that you might think surely he's not going to want to talk to them. People that maybe you or I might simply ignore but Jesus never does. Jesus turns and begins speaking. And he asks this question, what what are you seeking? What do you want? Um, And on the surface, that sounds like a really normal question to be asking, but also, as the reader, we can recognize here that there is a deeper question that Jesus is getting at. Not just like, what are you seeking now? Why are you following me? But what what are you seeking? What is your heart longing for? What do you desire? Because Jesus, you'll notice as we, go through this series. He's not one for small talk. He likes to get straight to the heart of people. Not only is he talking to Andrew, but he wants straight away to know what Andrew's heart is. He wants to know what is driving Andrew, what is like um, yeah, what he wants. Um, he is someone that cuts right to the center of the people that are, is before him. Um, and Andrew's response to this question is, Rabbi, where are you staying? Which I'll acknowledge, sounds like a pretty creepy and invasive question. (laughs) Way to go, Andrew. Um, And maybe, maybe in some sense it is. I'm not 100% sure. Um, But the reason Andrew is asking this question, what he's really asking here is, how can I find you again? Because they don't have phones Um, in Jesus' day. They can't exchange numbers. Um, He wants access to Jesus He wants to be able to find this man again. Maybe he has questions that he doesn't feel like he can ask here and now, but he he wants to see Jesus again. That is what he wants. And I want to step back for a second again and imagine again, imagine you're Jesus. So imagine you're, or or just imagine you're you actually, imagine you're walking home um, or you're walking somewhere and you kind of notice that there are two people following you behind you and you turn around and you realize that you recognize them, they're like friends of a friend, Um, but you're not sure why they're following you, so you say, what are you doing? As you would. And they say, where do you live? Or even maybe they say, can I have your phone number? What are you going to say? What are you going to do in that situation? I imagine not many of us would straight up just give the strangers or pseudo strangers our phone number. I imagine... Even few of us, if it's the where do you live question, would tell them where we live. But I imagine not one of us would invite these people straight back to our house to come and hang out with us there and then. That is exactly what Jesus does, though. Jesus' response is, come. Come and you will see. And it's easy to, like, skim past it because we know Jesus and we know that he is welcoming, but this is a, like bafflingly like surprising response and he invites them on the spot to come home with him to come and ask questions of him, to come and chat with him to come and eat a meal with him they stay overnight in his house or in the place that he is staying and um, this is if I'm honest, like one of the things that drew me to this passage at all, this is why I wanted to preach on this bit, because Jesus here, we see him, he is startlingly approachable and he is radically welcoming. This is the man that all of Israel has been waiting for for all these years. This is the Messiah. And he, he's just inviting these two strangers, these two people that are curious, back to his home. He makes space for them. He makes time for them. Andrew, maybe, he could have expected a like, fleeting interaction with Jesus. Maybe he'll be like, Jesus said, like the Messiah said hello to me. And maybe he could have expected that. Or maybe he could have expected to find out where Jesus was staying so that like, maybe he could come and find him later. I, I would be really surprised if Andrew was expecting to be able to go home with the Messiah and eat with him and talk with him and chat with him and be in his presence all night. Because it was immediate. It was a straight away, like, yeah, come with me. There was no probation period. There was no trial time. Andrew didn't have to prove his righteousness or his worth or his strength to this Messiah. He's just immediately, immediately invited him. And this, this is the same story that, that I've heard my whole life, and it still comes as a surprise, this idea that I don't have to say the right thing. I don't have to convince Jesus that I am worth his time. I don't have to try and make myself valuable to him. Jesus takes me at my best, but he also takes me at my worst, and everything in between. He invites us to come just exactly as we are now. There is no probation period for us, there's no trial. We're invited. And isn't this so different to sometimes the way that we talk about Jesus or talk of, like, inviting him? We, like, really, really often use this language of, like, inviting Jesus into our hearts, inviting Jesus into the room. I'm not saying that's wrong, but this is the reverse. We're not the ones doing the inviting here. Andrew was not the one doing the inviting here. It was Jesus. He invites us in. We're not inviting him onto the earth. He is inviting us into his kingdom. He invites us into his heart. The gospel, it's all about him being the one that takes the initiative. Him being the one that invites us to come and be with him in the most intimate of places. And it means that Andrew can come with with his uncertainties and doubts and questions and insecurities all of those things that we can find that we still carry, even like when we know Jesus for years, we can still find those things on us, but, but we are free to come to Jesus with those things. And just like Andrew, find that we are welcomed. Because with, with Jesus, there is, there is space. There's space for doubting. There is space for questions. You don't need to figure everything out before you come to him. He can deal with it all. And it's so easy, isn't it, to kind of let our doubts drive us away from God? Let our droughts mean that we want to kind of hang back and figure things out away from him, um, And then maybe once we've figured our things out away from him, then we can come and hang out with him. Um, we just don't need to do that. We don't need to let our doubts drive us away. We, we are free to let him draw us in and be invited right into his presence, and actually it is in his presence that we will find that our doubts are answered. It's in his presence that our questions will be like cleared up. It's in his presence that we will be convinced of who he is. And that's, that's what happened with Andrew. He, he spent, like I said, the whole night with Jesus, and it changed his life, literally overnight. He went from not really knowing who he was approaching to being one of this man's closest friends. And, and it started with this one night of being in Jesus' presence, and I'm really curious to know what it was that they actually discussed, what it was that they talked about that night, what Andrew asked, what did Jesus say, what did they eat? Um, because whatever it was, whatever was said, the next morning when Andrew left that place, he left and he went running to his brother and he was like, we have found the Messiah. He was convinced. Because you see, it didn't take John the Baptist to, to like, prove Jesus' messianess. To, to Andrew. He took Jesus Himself. He is a self-revealing God. John the Baptist pointed Jesus out, but it was Jesus who revealed himself to Andrew. It was Jesus who showed him who he really is. And this this is the picture of what discipleship looks like. This, if we want to be better disciples, if we want to be more committed disciples, this is what we do. We come and we spend time with Jesus and, and we hear what he has to say, and we allow him to reveal himself. To us. And it's the same if we want to be evangelists who are like eager, like Andrew was when he's running out to go and tell his brother, come and be with Jesus and allow him to get you excited for who he is. Allow him to convince you that he is worth it. Um, and, And you will find that you are just as eager as Andrew to run out and tell the people you know we found him. He is good. And so this is Jesus' invite to us. He says, come. Um, and, and I'm convinced that this, this like, invitation that he made to Andrew, this is the same invitation that he makes to us. Because in the last chapter of the Bible, the very last one in Revelation 22, it like ends with this verse that says, the spirit and the bride, they say, come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Just like Andrew. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is still his word over his church. This is still his word to the people on earth. Come, come and you will see. The invitation is the same for us. Um, Can I have the band back up? Um. And just as this invitation is the same, I feel, um, I think that the question is the same as well. This question that Jesus asked Andrew, what are you seeking? Um, What is your life directed towards? Where are your priorities? What are the things that occupy your attention? I believe Jesus would ask this of us today. Not because he wants to put us off, but because like, it's important that we know what we really desire, what it is that our hearts are really seeking. Because the invitation from Jesus isn't just come and have a look, it not come and see what's going on and then get back to it, you know? The invitation from Jesus is come and stay. Um, come and do just what Andrew did. Because you see, Andrew, he never stopped following Jesus. His whole life from that moment on was shaped by the fact that he knew Jesus. His old life, it was put away, it was gone. Everything about him now was orientated around the Messiah who has come. Um, Is this the life we want? (laughs) This life where, where everything that we are is orientated around him? Where everything we are is shaped by knowing who Jesus is? Because if this is the life we want, here is our invitation. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Here is our invitation, the spirit and the bride. They say, come. And I'm going to leave it there and we're going to sing a song. (laughs) Amen. Can I invite you to stand? We're going to sing in just a moment.